good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn back tonight in the Word of God to to Nehemiah chapter 13. And let's hear the word of the living God. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they'd heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And let me remind you again, the events in this chapter mark the time when Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem. When he first approached the king, he, he asked leave to, to go for a time and to see the state of the city. But he gave assurances of his return, and thus he returned back to Persia. And here in a later time, we find in verse number 6, in the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes, that he came again, left the king, and came back again to Jerusalem. On his return, he finds that things are not as they ought to be. I believe the verse 1 to 3 mark a summary of his actions on his return, the reading of the word of God, and then the, the separation of this mixed multitude. There has been a backsliding, a time of declension, marked by uh, the events in three areas. And the three areas are the state of the house of God, namely the temple, the state of the Sabbath day, and also the state of the homes and the issue of marriage. These are the three areas that uh, the people of God had promised to, to, to exercise obedience in back in chapter 10. And so we thought last time, that there is a tendency in the people of God to fall back into old sins. And these three areas more generally are areas that mark declension. Whenever there's a turning away from God, there will always be a turning away in these three areas. Always. In every age, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, when they're turning back from God, there will be neglect of the house of God. There will be a, a lack in obedience to the Sabbath day. And there will also be a lack of appreciation of the importance of Christian marriage. These areas are always, always the areas that are affected when the people of God turn away from the Lord. Nehemiah, he is a kind and a patient leader of the people of God. He comes and he deals with the problem. We'll see that perhaps next Wednesday evening. He does come and he addresses the, the issues and he, he, he brings about a, a time of reform under the word of God. But his first response is not to throw up the head and say all is lost. He recognizes that the people of God will fall back and he comes and deals with the matter prayerfully. Verse 14, remember me, O my God, concerning this. There's a spirit of prayer as there has been throughout this entire portion of Scripture. Nehemiah realizes 
that in times of joy, there is a recognition of God's good hand. And in times of sorrow, there is a recognition of the need for God's good hand to fall upon the people of God. And so we are, I believe, enjoying a season of blessing in the house of God here. We're glad of what God is doing. But in times of blessing, let us always be alert. The danger of declension is always around the corner. And thus these areas are areas that we must continually be reminded of in the preaching of the word of God. And so let's take the time to just consider these three areas. The areas that, uh, that are marked and affected by this time of declension. And to begin with, there is compromise in the house of God. We could take the text, verse 11, as the summary text. Why is the house of God forsaken? There's compromise in the upkeep of the temple and the upkeep of the house of God. The core, if you remember, the core issue with regards to this time of declension is that the world has crept into the nation. There is this mixed multitude from which the nation must be separated. And that worldly influence is seen in the context of the house of God. The influence of the world has an effect upon the worship of God. And when there's compromise with the ungodly, then the work of God and the church of Jesus Christ is affected in its public worship. You, you see this issue of compromise in, in two areas. You will see to begin with, there is accommodation. There is a neglect of separation. There's accommodation of the enemies of the work. Verse 4, and before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, etc. Tobiah is dwelling in the chamber of the house of God. Elashib has struck up this friendship with Tobiah one of the spiritual leaders of God's people, was providing a bad example to the people around. The people around are embracing this mixed multitude. And here at the very core, the very core of the spiritual life of the people of God, the priest is entertaining the enemy of God's work. You'll remember Tobiah. You'll turn back to chapter 2. Let's just remind ourselves regarding the, this man, Tobiah, and his and his actions, Tobias 1, along with some ballot, the Horonites, verse number 10, he hears of Nehemiah coming to Jerusalem and aggrieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Grieved. Grieved about the well-being of the people of God. This Tobiah has no heart for the work of God. And now he's coming to live in the house of God. And in verse 3 of chapter 4, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. He, he was a mucker of the house of God. And he now makes his home in the house of God. This enemy of God's work, we now find in the very house of God. And you'll see verse number 8, the Grief that that brings to Nehemiah's heart. It grieved me sore. Nehemiah 
gives a very clear testimony. Verse 7, that this action was an action of evil. Verse 7, and I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Tobiah was an enemy of God's people. Tobiah was not a priest. He was not even a Jew. And yet there is this strange friendship, this strange alliance. Now here we have to speculate Always cautious with speculation, but we can't determine the motivation as to why exactly Eliashib would become friendly with Tobiah, the enemy of God's work. Was it simply for a quiet life? Or was it a case of the trouble will stop if we befriend them? We might put it this way, if you can't beat them, join them. The world around us stands for pragmatism. You do what works, no matter what is righteous. And it seems that that spirit was in the heart of Eliashib. Rather than doing what was right, he sought to do what was expedient. And that tendency is always a danger in the house of God. There is a desire in God's people at times to accommodate the world. Accommodate the world to prevent persecution or to promote friendship. Some would even argue, sure, what harm is it doing Tobias now? He's now under the influence of the priest. He's in the influence of the gospel. Surely we must embrace the world if we're going to win the world. And that mindset is in the church of Christ. It is a perennial danger for the people of God. You listen to the words of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. So what happens in the work of God's? Well, there comes a time in the last days when there will be a refusal to sit under the preaching of the word of God. And so what happens in the church? They heap to themselves teachers. There's an embrace of compromise as the world comes into the church. And so in our day, we will not find a Tobiah camping in the church office. Well, we're not going to find an enemy of God having a bed in the church basement. That's, that's not the, the issue we find. What we find is that the world comes in and it comes into the pulpit. It comes behind the sacred desk and the influence of the world comes and compromises what is the standing of God's truth. I can list some of the areas in which the world's thinking has come to the point where the gospel is compromised. Penal substitution is under attack today. There are many so-called Bible teachers who would say that there's no way that a loving father could pour his wrath upon his beloved son. How could a God of love punish his own dear son? And that mindset has come behind the sacred desk. 
And now the death of Christ is looked upon as an example of love. Not an act of the justice and judgment of God. Because the world outside has lost sight of the holiness of God. And therefore in the loss of that sight of God's holiness, there is no place for penal substitution. And so the world has come in and made its bed in the pulpit of our churches. The doctrine of eternal punishment has come under attack. Preacher, if we go into the neighborhoods and tell people that there's a God in heaven who will say to the lost in the last day, depart from me, I never knew you, we're not going to make many friends, preacher, doing that. We, we, we may understand that there's a problem with sin, but we, we don't want to make much of eternal punishment. Let's, let's remove that from our preaching, from our evangelism. Let's not say much about it. We need to, com- we need to compromise. We need to, we need to accommodate the modern man. Now, they've all been to college. They've all got master's degrees. You go and talk about such a, an archaic doctrine as hell. You're never going to find any popular approval. We need to compromise and accommodate to their thinking. And so, again, the Tobias of this world have come and they've made their bed in the church of Christ. True, discipleship is under attack. Yeah, we're happy to believe in the facts of the gospel. But preacher, the modern man, they, they can't be expected to live under the authority of the word of God. They're independent. They're free thinking. And that they have all of their own preferences. If you go and start telling them there's a cost to following Christ, they're not going to follow Christ. They'll, they'll just go and do their own thing. And of course, at the heart of it all, on this Reformation Day, justification by faith alone is constantly under attack. The natural man always wants to do something to please God. And they refuse to believe that they're an enemy of God. They're a stranger to God and their only hope is of the works of another, namely Christ Jesus. These are just a few areas in which I think we can very clearly prove that modern American churches are compromised and the enemy of the gospel has come into the church. Because they've heaped themselves teachers. They've itching ears and they will not endure sound doctrine. Do not think we are above such compromise. So there is this lack of separation. There's an accommodation of the enemies. There's also neglect of provision. So there's compromise in the house of God. And in this secondary, in a neglect, a neglect of provision. You have it there in verse number 10. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. And then I says, why is the house of God forsaken? And here he's talking about the, the matter of provision. A key effect of spiritual declension and worldliness is to neglect the worship of God in terms of supporting financially the work of God and the witness of God. Can you turn back to chapter 10? And you'll see one of their covenant of promises was to ensure that they would not neglect the work of God. Verse 32, we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly 
With the third part of a shekel, that's part of the provision. And then verse number 33, it says, For all the, house, the work of the house of our God, they were going to make sure that they kept up and they maintained the work of God and they supported the Levites in the work of God. That is a mark of declension. When the people of God are, are not walking with God, they will give off their resources for multiple other things but not for the work of God. The governing of the house of God in the Old Testament provides principles for the ordering of the worship of God in the new. You've got to be careful. There, there are not direct lines, but there are parallels. And the issue in Nehemiah 13 was that they had neglected the tithe. Verse 12, Then brought all Judah the tithe, of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. This neglect of the tithe was, as I say, a mark of spiritual declension in the people of God. You turn ahead to, to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. It's another portion of God's word that deals with the issue of, of declension and uh, a, a time when the people of God are backsliding. Verse 8 of Malachi 3 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And the answer is, In tithes and offerings. Verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. It's connected, just in passing, to the promise of blessing. If they are to do this, the Lord of hosts says, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. People of God have backslidden. They've, they've fallen back in their paths of righteousness. And one of the marks is the neglect of the tithe. The tithe is but the baseline giving for the people of God. It is the beginning in addition to the tithe comes the offerings, verse number 8, in tithes and offerings. The matter of the tithe is another matter that's fallen into popular disapproval. There are those who say, well, there is no mention of the tithe in the New Testament. When you get the New Testament church, there's, there's no mention of an explicit tithe, like a, a percentage of your income that you would give for the work of God. That, that's not in the New Testament. Well, that's true in part. It's not explicitly mentioned in the epistles. The general principle in the epistles is one of generosity, as the Lord has provided. But to say the principle of tithe is absent is, is not entirely true either. And you turn to Matthew chapter 23. And here in Matthew 23, the issue of the tithe is, is raised in implicit form. Matthew 23 and the verse number 23, Christ is rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees for all of their, their falseness and all of their, uh, all of their wickedness and hypocrisy. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Christ is rebuking them for, for neglecting Judgment, mercy, faith. He's rebuking them for their hypocrisy. 
And he raised the issue of how precise they are in tithing the smallest things like mint and anise and cumin. These, these spices that are, that are so small and yet they'll be exact in measuring out the tithe. Making sure they, they have this tithe for the work of God. But what is significant is that Christ in that verse says this. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. It's not that they should not have tithed. It is that they should not have neglected the weightier matters when they were concerned with tithing mint. That's the point. But Christ actually, he puts his rubber stamp upon the principle of the tithe here. You ought to have done this. But make sure that when you do this, that you do not neglect the weightier matters. It's always good to remind ourselves that we are embarking on declension when we have reluctance to support the work of God and the welfare of the missions of God's work. It's a warning to our souls. It is part of genuine Christianity that there is a generosity when it comes to providing for the welfare of the work of God and for the witness of God. That is how God's work goes forward in this particular world. So this feature of declension is seen, that there is compromise in the house of God. There's also in the second place, very quickly, there is compromise in the Sabbath of God. Verse 15 and following. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and laden asses as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought unto, into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day, wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Matthew Henry says this, Religion is never in the throne, while Sabbaths are trodden underfoot. Because when the people of God, when they fall away from God, there is always a neglect of the observance of the Sabbath day. And here in Nehemiah 13, the issue of stake is not the issue of recreation and pleasure. That's a different story. It is the issue of trading on God's day. Why is Sabbath neglect such a serious sign of spiritual declension? Well, I believe it shows people's opinions in a few areas. It shows that people reject God's authority. The Sabbath day is a principle of God's institution. It is an imperative in the moral law. And whilst there are ceremonial aspects in the Old Testament... The Sabbath principle is a moral law principle. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And part of that observation in Exodus chapter 20 involves the working of servants. The working which is involved here in Nehemiah 15 verse, or Nehemiah 13 verse 15. Working on the Sabbath day. All the commands of God, every, every one of the Ten Commandments cuts across natural inclination and preference. But still, still today the world disapproves of stealing, generally disapproves of murder with 
the notable exception of abortion, but that God would demand a day. God would demand a whole day to be set aside for his worship. That is too much for the natural man. And the mixed multitude have come into the church. And the mixed multitude have come into the church. And there's been a departing from the keeping of God's day. It's a departing. A rejection of God's authority. It's also a rejection of God's community. One of the consequences of Sabbath desecration is that the people of God congregate in sporting venues and not in the covenant community of God's people. There's also one other thing. When there's Sabbath desecration, it is a a sign. It's a sign of the people and their feeling regarding their priorities. The people here in Nehemiah's day, they are living for money and gain. Their desire is to make sure they maximize their profits. And when the Sabbath is desecrated, and when it's trading on God's day, it is an indication that there's not enough, not enough money being made in six days. We need all seven days if we're going to make our economy tick. That, I tell you, is a mark of people having the wrong priorities and believing that they know better than God. We need to take heed to these things. We need to be watchful in our own hearts. We need to realize that we are living in a day when no matter how many people profess to name the name of Jesus, we are living in days of spiritual declension. If you need any evidence to encourage you to pray for our area, for this district and for the nation, it is in these two areas. In the house of God and the day of God. And may God stir up a holy burden in our soul for these things that we would not simply put a blind eye to it, but we would see the state of the day in which we live and cry unto God, Would thou not revive us again? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.